Welcome to episode 87 of Closer Mentality. I'm your host, Julia Mellet. Before I begin with this week's guest, I wanted to ring in the September episodes with a reminder that this month is Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. This podcast stands with others like it in bringing awareness to the wide array of mental health struggles. Is something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? Regardless if you have a clinical mental health issue like depression or anxiety, or if you're just a human in this world going through a hard time, therapy can give you the tools to approach your life in a positive way. That's why I'm excited to tell you about today's sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp's mission is to make therapy more affordable and more accessible. This is an important mission because finding a therapist can be really hard, especially when you're limited to the options in your area. BetterHelp is a platform that makes finding a therapist easier because it's online, it's remote, and by filling out a few questions, BetterHelp can match you to a professional therapist in as little as a few days. It's easy to sign up and get matched with a therapist. If this sounds like something that could help you, there's a link in the show notes to get you started on your therapy journey. Clicking that link helps support this podcast, but it also gets you 10% off your first month of BetterHelp. Because finding a therapist is a little like dating. If you don't really fit with a therapist matched with you, it's easy and free to switch therapists without stressing about insurance, who's in your network, or anything like that. Click the link in the show notes or visit betterhelp.com forward slash closer mentality. That's betterhelp.com forward slash closer mentality. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. Did you know that you can purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore? With Libro FM, you can pick from more than 325,000 audiobooks, including bestsellers and recommendations from real booksellers. You'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a different story, one that supports your local community. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to squeeze more reading into your busy life. Listen with the free Libro FM app while you do chores, walk the dog, or relax at home. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out recommendations from the people who know best, booksellers. Closer Mentality has partnered with Libro FM on a special offer. Through the link in the show notes, you can get two audiobooks on Libro FM for the price of one with your first month of membership. Thanks to Libro FM for sponsoring this podcast. Are you an athlete rehabbing from an injury? Are you a coach or athletic trainer seeking additional support for your injured athlete toolkits? KT Tape has exactly what you need. KT Tape is a rehabilitation tape that helps stabilize and compress sensitive areas of the body during exercise. Apply KT Tape to an area either in pain or in recovery and feel the difference. KT Tape is comfortable, stable, and long-wearing. There's tape for all modes of action, from gentle, which is safe for easy activity and everyday use, to pro-extreme, for athletes in moderate to high-impact exercise. KT Tape makes water-resistant tape as well, for more adaptable rehabilitation implementation. KT Tape caters to lifelong athletes and focuses on reducing muscle soreness for all users when worn during exercise and up to 48 hours post. If you feel like you or your athletic department could use KT Tape, 
go to the link in the show notes. The links to BetterHelp.com, Liberal FM, and KT Tape are all down in the show notes. Now, let's get back to the episode. In the show notes, I've linked our partner BetterHelp, as well as the Suicide Prevention Hotline. Be kind to yourself and those around you. You never know what other people are going through. With that, let's meet Dr. Stephen Brolio. Brolio was born in West Virginia, but earned his education from the University of Pittsburgh and the University of Georgia. He's been conducting research specific to concussion and traumatic brain injuries, or TBIs, since 1999. Now, he heads the University of Michigan's Concussion Center and the Neurotrauma Research Lab. Brolio's research into concussions worked to build the groundwork for how scientists would acknowledge the disease's states in the mid-2000s and onward. I mean, concussion has been in, described medically since, I think, the 5th century BCE. Um, and, you know, but from a, and, and, you know, there are papers along the way, if we go back, like there's the famous 1928 paper from Harrison Martland um, around punch drunk, and there's different statements of concussion through the, through the 20th century. Uh, but in my mind, I marked the beginning of like concussion science. The modern concussion science um, is uh, 2007. And that was the time, um, it was January 18th, 2007. And that was, that was the day that the New York Times had concussion and CTE on the front page. And to me, that's the point it really entered the public consciousness. Like we always knew it was there, but it really entered the public consciousness. And then with that um, came the grant funding from the NIH and the Department of Defense to study the problem. And, and if, you look at the, if you look at the trajectory of publications, it's a couple years after 2007 because it takes time for grant funding to be disseminated and the work to be done and then published. But that's when you start to see this upward, really steep upward climb of, of publications. In 2005, the first case of chronic traumatic encephalopathy, or CTE, was published. Famously portrayed in the 2015 film Concussion, starring Will Smith and Alec Baldwin, Dr. Bennett Amalu opened the world's eyes to the disease's rapid progression. When Amalu brought his findings to the National Football League's executives, he was shunned. Over the next decade, professional football players began to develop dementia-like symptoms following illustrious playing careers. Suddenly, tackle football became the enemy, and the number of people playing tackle dropped from 8.2 million to 5.22 million between 2006 and 2017, a nearly 38% decrease. High school football saw a subsequent 10.3% decrease in participation, and tackle football in children 6 to 12 years old has dropped 29% since 2016. On August 28, 2023, Boston University's CTE Center published a study hot off the presses that found CTE in more than 40% of youth, high school, and college athletes who died before turning 30 years old. The study, linked in the show notes, examined 152 brains of athletes between 13 and 29 years old. Primarily, these individuals played football, but soccer, ice hockey, and rugby players also qualified. This comes mere months after Boston University published an NFL-specific study in February, deducing that 345 of the 376 former players examined showed signs of CTE. Brolio has been working diligently behind the scenes to give validity to the millions of parents and former players who live in fear of the sports that they love. I think it's a mixed bag. 
to be honest. So I think on the helping side, um, the current dialogue has brought a lot of attention to the injury, which brings a lot of research dollars, which helps us ask the answer the questions that are being asked. So I think that's the helping side. I do get concerned about the way CTE is commonly portrayed and sort of around this, you've had one concussion, you are now destined to have this outcome, um, which is clearly not the case. Um, or if you ever played a contact and collision sport, whether you had a concussion or not, you are destined to this outcome, which is not the case. And so I get nervous about the mental health of people um, that had an injury, maybe in high school or college, um, or just played a contact collision sport, high school, college, and the, the mental health that they are onboarding, the negative mental health that they're onboarding because of this media portrayal and some of the, downs the, the downstream negative effects that that may have. The work around what are the acute effects, what is the best way to um, evaluate and manage somebody with concussion. Um, I think we're more advanced in that space because it was the first thing that we were trying to figure out. Uh, when we start talking about long-term effects, um, you know, that's, that kind of gets to this 2007 time point. And if you back up two years, that's in 2005, that's when the first CTE case was published. Um, so I, I think it is sort of just a natural extension. The long-term effects are a natural extension of what happens on, on the acute side. Um, and, but it's a lot more comp, it's a lot harder to do because to do true prospective studies, um, you know, you, you have to recruit people and you have to, they have to have injuries and then you have to track them over time to see what happens. And I'm not detracting from the case series work that's been done already. Um, it adds to the literature. It helps guide some of the prospective work. Uh, but it's those true prospective studies that are going to give us the more definitive answers that we need. Brolio's concussion research is naturally longitudinal, meaning that each subject is studied over the course of months, years, and a lifetime. Aiding in that data collection is a constantly developing stream of technology. Trackers and helmets, for example, now have the capability to monitor head and neck movement and chart impact severity. It's pretty well accepted that anything below maybe 10 or 15 Gs of head acceleration um, is sort of routine, right? It's like the amount of jostling your head takes if you went for a run. What we don't, and then we sort of know that the average magnitude of impact that causes concussion is in the like 80 to 90 G range. And that's an average, so there's definitely a, a window around that. What we don't know is, is there a cut point in the middle that is um, safe? doesn't have any metabolic neurometabolic effects and then over that is something is going on but it doesn't result in a headache or dizziness or something else and so i think you, i think you kind of get what i'm saying it's like we we don't know kind of what that that middle zone is pretty gray to us right now so we're sort of just including everything that falls in it when brolino's concussion research began the mechanisms of data collection were vastly simplified when I, um, when I took my first faculty position at Illinois, um, right, maybe a few years before I graduated with my doc, but right around that time, um, there was a company out of New Hampshire called Simbex that invented uh, this uh, it's a system called the Head Impact Telemetry System. And it's an accelerometer array that fits within a football helmet, and it allowed people to track location and magnitude of impacts. Um, and so... Um, my Kevin Guskowitz at North Carolina was using this in, in college athletes, and there were a few other schools around the country that were doing it. Um, but we were the first at Illinois to use it in high school athletes. So 
you know, really, because you're first, you know, you're really asking very simple questions. Like how many times do, do these players get hit in a, in a day, in a week, in a season? And what does that look like um, by position? Um, so we sort of did some like real simple studies just to try to understand what exposure looked like. And then we started getting a little more complex and it was different offense and defensive schemes and what happens when you change the contact rule, contact practice rules and those types of things. But, um, you know, as a, as a kinesiologist, exercise science major, you know, we, we took biomechanics classes and um, through some of the work I had done at Ohio State, you know, I took some physics classes for that matter. And, and you know, a lot of physics, at least in the mechanical physics is, it's just, you know, biomechanics is just physics applied to the body in, in essence. I would never claim to be a biomechanist. I have a very rudimentary knowledge of it, um, but it was enough to at least do those simple projects that we did. And um, on occasion, I still draw from that part of my life and you know, try to answer questions. Now, Brolio is one of the team of researchers on a nearly $100 million project funded jointly by the NCAA and United States Department of Defense. This study seeks to define, in both sport and tactical settings, the long-term effects of head trauma. So for the last almost decade now, we've been running a project um, called the CARE Consortium uh, that's been funded by the NCA and the DOD. And um, that project, uh, we have 30 sites across the country, and uh, Michigan being one of them, of course. But at every site, every varsity athlete on those campuses is eligible to participate. And then we have the four military service academies. So in addition to the varsity athletes, all the cadets on those campuses are eligible. So at Michigan, um, you know, we extend the invitation to participate um, to all, all the 900 or 1,000 student athletes. And I would say we had, uh, in any given year, 80 to 85% of people participated. Um, and so that allows us, we do baseline evaluations, uh, and then if there's an injury, we do um, five post-injury time points. And then we're at the stage now where we're starting to track people after they've graduated. We're very interested in um, kind of psychological and mental health. Um, and so, um, you know, we, we have, we started off, we had 55,000 individuals that we enrolled at this kind of like baseline while they were on campus time period. Um, and then a subset of those, um, we're, we're looking to get 7,500 of the civilians twice over a five-year interval, and then 5,000 of the military, they're now officers, um, twice over that same interval. Uh, and so, you know, we have a pretty extensive, it takes about an hour-ish to complete um, online surveys for um, satisfaction with life and mental health, anxiety, depression. Um, we also account for um, alcohol use and sleep. Um, we have a instrument called the life events checklist. So it's kind of tragic events that may have happened in your life, pain scales, disability scales, um, other concussions you may have sustained after you left um, your institution um, for this entire purpose of trying to understand um, our long-term problems, a function of those that just participated in contact collision sports, or is it more equally distributed across all athletes, or is it something else that we're not thinking of um, but we know we need to account for other lifestyle factors that may kind of influence these things so um, for example you know we have um, social determinants of health we ask we ask those and um, you know there's some pretty tough questions in there about things that may have happened to you as a kid or or maybe a young adult um, but we know those things influence anxiety and depression right so we want to be able to 
tease out um, something that may be related to um, a concussion or head impact exposure without concussion versus something that may have happened to you as a 10-year-old um, that is causing those problems. A collaboration between the NCAA and Department of Defense may seem mismatched, but Brolio pointed to distinct similarities between the two seemingly unrelated focus groups. So, you know, with CTE and the NFL were on, you know, there was that going on. Um, that was that was the highlight of the story. But uh, parallel to that, we were involved in two wars overseas and head injury, brain trauma was the signature wound, right? So the battle armor had been improved. People were surviving IED explosions, but they were coming out with, um, you know, the full spectrum of injuries, mild, moderate and severe. So that's where the DOD interest sort of came into it. And then uh, there was some data that came out, I think in 2012, 2013, somewhere around there, um, that actually showed that I think 80 or 85% of concussions in military personnel occurred in non-combat settings. So it occurred in, um, they do their combatives training, they do their physical fitness, they participate in sports. So all the sort of regular things that they just do on their day-to-day. Um, so that that shared interest between the NCA and the DOD came largely from that. Sort of on top of that, at the academies, um, every cadet on campus has to participate in a sport of some sort. So you have the traditional varsity level athletes, but everybody else participates in either a club or a rec sport while they're there. And that's a mandated thing. Um, so um, the academies, the military views their cadets as athletes. And we often refer to them as the tactical athlete. Um, you know, so you're looking at a group of individuals that are, you know, when I think of civilian and military, they're both 18 to 22 years old, um, really pushing for physical and mental excellence and both at risk for injury. Um, and, and, and both groups having an interest in what are the long-term effects. And, um, you know, there's on the sports side, it's really easy to try to understand like, okay, what happens to the football player or the hockey player? Um, but very little research at that point had been done in the swimmer, the cross country athlete, the tennis athlete, because it's such a low risk sport. It sort of just got ignored, right? So, you know, we were the first group to really do this all-inclusive type of study. Then on the military side, all of those cadets or the vast majority will become officers and they will start leading the next round of troops. And you want to make sure that your officers are making good decisions, you know, when they're um, when they're handing out orders. So um, while the endpoints might be a little bit different, the interest, at least in kind of how they get there, is is definitely the same. It's been a really good partnership. I think, um, you know, both groups um, have, have, I mean, I'll, I'm, I'm going to be a little bit flippant here, but, um, you know, they basically wrote us a check and then they said, let us know what you find out. And, um, you know, we give regular updates on, you know, these are the papers that we've published and the findings from those papers, but um, nobody is, nobody's looking over our shoulder and making suggested edits or anything like that. So it's, it's really been a, it's really been a lot of fun to, to work with them on this project. The NCAA U.S. Department of Defense Concussion Assessment Research and Education, or CARE Consortium, is the product of a historic collaboration between the two national entities created in 2014. Brolio heads the UM portion, while his counterparts collect data for the Indiana University School of Medicine, the Center for Neurotrauma Research at the Medical College of Wisconsin, and the four military academies. We've published, I think, close to 150 papers already. And those have influenced um, NCA policy. I'm part of an international group on concussion. And it's, it, 
helped inform some of the decisions that they made at a meeting last fall. Um, you know, we help myself and my colleagues, you know, we're on um, policy statements regularly. I don't want to say a lot, but regularly. Um, and that, that work all helps inform those documents, um, including the DOD guidelines around concussion management and care. So um, I think we're already seeing the benefits kind of play out. Um, but unless I get a concussion, I don't get the direct benefit. It's all about, it's all about the other people. I feel super fortunate that I'm, I got into an injury, studying an injury before it really became popular. And, you know, that's allowed me to do a lot of things. Uh, but what I really like is taking very complex problems and breaking them down into manageable chunks and answering those questions and then moving on to the next one. And so, you know, with these complex disease states, um, I think if that had just been what my advisor did, that that's probably what I would be doing. I don't have a personal connection with concussion. Nobody in my family's had one that I'm aware of. Um, so it's more about, for me, it's more about, I, I love the process of research and um, answering those questions and trying to help people out. Science evolves and medicine evolves. And so if you were to look back at the early 2000s, when we were returning people the same day that they had a diagnosed injury because they cleared on symptoms, that's barbaric by today's standards, but that was the, that was the norm back then. And so fast forward 20 years from now, there are things that we're doing today that science is later going to prove it was good or bad. And we're going to look back on at 2023 and go like, how, what were they thinking? Due to the longitudinal nature of the study's 10-year time span, data is collected in three ways. Six months following a concussion, up to five years post-graduation, and finally 10 plus years after the initial concussion diagnosis. Of note thus far, the CARE Consortium has deduced that among spring practice, preseason football, and regular season participation, it's actually routine football practice that produces nearly three of four concussions in 70% of all head impacts. I've linked the current status of Brolio and the CARE Consortium's research in the show notes for those interested in further data breakdowns. Thank you so much to Dr. Brolio for sharing his expertise with Closure Mentality in episode 87. You can watch our full episode at the Closure Mentality Uncensored YouTube channel. For more content, give us a follow on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Closure Mental. Thanks for listening to episode 87 of Closure Mentality. As always, I'm your host, Julia Mellett. See you next week.